Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So Jesus, we'll hear in just a minute, begins his public ministry with a series of healings. And these healings are going to tell us something important about Jesus and his ministry and how the rest of this story in Mark's gospel is going to unfold. Mark wants us to know here at the outset of Jesus' public ministry that Jesus' authority will be contested. Jesus' presence, words, and deeds are going to threaten other forces that claim authority over people's lives. And these other authorities have something to lose. And so first we encounter the man with the unclean spirit, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. So this man with the unclean spirit finds Jesus in the synagogue. He initiates the exchange and his opening question, which is actually from the spirit that possesses him, conveys this sense of, why are you picking this fight? Or couldn't you have just left things alone between us? But the contest doesn't last long because it's not a very fair fight. We can't be sure if this question from the spirit, have you come to destroy us, is a fearful acknowledgement or an arrogant, miscalculated boast. But in any case, that spirit is gone, expelled from the man with just a few words from Jesus. There are no prayers, no formulas, no props, just Jesus' command to leave him. Mark doesn't give us any information about where this spirit goes, which is strange. It appears to become disembodied, but not necessarily destroyed. And so there's this interesting thing that happens. Jesus strips the spirits of the ability to inhabit their human hosts. And so then the gospel authors are, are making a particular claim about Jesus and his power. They're saying that Jesus says, you evil spirits have no settled place or entrenched influence in the world. And so losing their opportunities to win over people's bodies and minds, they lose the authority that they thought they had. This exorcism doesn't eliminate the evil and the oppression. It denies those kinds of forces the authority or power to hold ultimate sway over people's lives. And when I read that, it, it stopped me dead in my tracks, and so I want to say it again, because there's a lot swirling around in there. This exorcism that Jesus does 
does not eliminate evil and oppression. It denies those kinds of forces the authority or power to hold ultimate sway over people's lives. And as I thought about this, I realized suddenly demon possession seems like something less out of a horror movie or these strange biblical stories, and more like something that I've experienced too. Because I have, on occasion, been possessed by anger at someone else that has led me to say and do things that I regret. I have been possessed by jealousy and envy that have led me to use my resources in ways that I regret. And most dangerously, I am possessed by the messages that tell me that I'm a fraud and a failure, messages that tell me that I'm not a good enough wife, mom, pastor, that I'm a really terrible friend. I'm possessed by messages that tell me that I'm only worth something if I'm successful and productive and perfect. Now, I'm not telling you this to move you to give me compliments or to comfort me. Uh, I have plenty of resources uh, for those areas, but I'm telling you this because when I think about possession in that way, I begin to understand the struggle that this possessed man has been living with. And I wonder this morning if you haven't also had experiences like this too. When you feel possessed by something that is so clearly not the spirit of God blessing us to be a blessing to others. And maybe it's even more than those messages that get played over and over in our heads or that come at us from culture or other places. Some are possessed by addiction to alcohol or drugs. Maybe a hidden or but pervasive prejudice that keeps you captive. Or maybe some of these other more society-approved unclean spirits like workaholism or affluenza or greed. And so how is Jesus freeing us from these spirits in our own lives? Is it as dramatic as Jesus saying, leave him and the demon goes away in convulsions? Uh, maybe. I mean, ask around and you'll hear some pretty dramatic stories of how people are released from their, those things that possess them, their addictions and, and those uh, harmful thoughts and feelings those sudden encounters with grace and mercy. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not about the one dramatic moment, but the steady support of the community, or an AA group, or a prayer chain, or a parenting group, or uh, anger management classes, or whatever it is. Sometimes the road to healing and restoration takes time and company. And God is at work in those dramatic moments and in those everyday moments. And so many more to free us from those unclean spirits that possess us. Which lead us to the next story about Simon's mother-in-law and what happens after the healing. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. 
And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said, everyone is searching for you. Jesus answered, let us go on to the neighboring town so I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. So just like the demons in the previous story, the fever leaves Simon's mother-in-law. And having been raised, she serves them. And on the most literal level, it means that she probably got up and prepared and served food. But this phrase, to serve, is another key term in Mark's Gospel. Its presence here shows that her service is to be interpreted as an example of response to faith. It means to serve at the table, but it also means to serve in ministry. And this is used about the angels in the wilderness who serve Jesus and other women who follow Jesus and serve him. And serving is what characterizes Jesus' own ministry too. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Later, we hear that from Jesus uh, in Mark's Gospel. And so, Simon's mother-in-law is an example of faith and of Christian ministry. Jesus' ministry in these first scenes brings people back into community, into a full role, their full capacity. All of us who have been ill at one time or another, especially those who have been seriously ill, know the joy of simply being back as a participant in ordinary community. Going about the business of grocery shopping and going to church and doing all those things that you did before you fell ill. But there is nothing ordinary about life together in community. Jesus brings the power of God Almighty to bring about that participation so that we can be under God's will, serving in community with others, being that blessing. And so Mark's gospel then invites us to look for those experiences of resurrection in everyday life, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our society. A debilitating fever in this time and this place in Jesus' world means death if one cannot do what they need to do, to serve, to feed, to provide for their household. To be released from illness and restored to that role means that they can fulfill those responsibilities to repair the bonds of family and community. So where is resurrection happening for us now? Where is it happening in the world? Not just far off in the future, what we dream of and hope for in the promise of baptism and of Christ, but where are we being restored here and now to the fullness of life? Where can we take hold of what God intends for us and claim it for ourselves? Because when people see this for Simon's mother-in-law, they come bringing everyone they know. And when people see this in our lives too, when we share it together, 
more and more will find that hope that we share in Christ. And so, as we learn about Jesus and what discipleship as one of Jesus' followers might look like as we jump into Mark's gospel, Mark shows us a Jesus able and willing to heal all sorts of illnesses and woes from a simple fever to possession. And these healings are signs of what God's reign looks like for human beings. A restoration to a condition of blessedness and thriving and flourishing. Humankind will no longer be oppressed by the powers of evil. We have seen Jesus' intense interactions with the demons who know him, and Jesus wins. We have also heard Jesus insist that his calling to destroy, that it is his calling, excuse me, to destroy those powers hostile to God's reign, even as he goes about announcing that God's reign is coming so that all might have the opportunity to repent and trust God. Jesus and his message in Mark's gospel represent nothing less than God's attempt to enter into and reclaim our existence, bringing the kingdom of God into places where other reigns claim to hold sway. And yet, Jesus lifts those from us. Jesus says, those things that hold us captive have no authority anymore because you are under my authority and I will deliver you. Whatever demons you're wrestling with, whatever illness or malady you're suffering from, whatever forces seem to assail you, hold tight this morning that they are no match for Jesus. That in Jesus, Nothing less than divine deliverance is at hand. So that we might rise up and serve one another in the name of Jesus, working for the wholeness and healing of all creation. Thanks be to God. Amen.